And now a line from James's survival handbook. Dew from grass can also be harvested for water. Tie clothes around your ankles and legs, then walk through the grass before sunrise. Then take those clothes and wring them out in a container to collect water. Welcome to Survivor Analytics. My name is Clyde. I'm the expert. I'm also here with the voice of the people. We got Jack. Jack, how's it going? I gotta say, I was expecting that tip to be not walk around with your clothes around your ankles to soak up the dew, but I thought it was just going to say, go lay in a field and lick some grass and see how much water you can get. That's kind of where my brain went. Um, So that makes a little more sense. And I think James is poorly equipped for this show, the more I hear from his manual, but I'm good. Well, we don't have just Jack today. We have another guest. Ooh, a special feature. We have my little sister, Maddie. Maddie, how's it going? Hi there. It's going good. Um, I'm really excited to be on the podcast, especially because last time I was on here was for the draft for season 44, and I did terribly. Um, I picked the first three boots of the season, so I was pretty much like not in the picture for the entire time. Record-setting bad picking, actually. I don't think you... It, it, I mean, it was impossible to pick worse. So I guess it's an accomplishment in its own weird way. Yeah. When we had uh, Alexis on the pod, who also was a part of the draft, I started at the beginning of the episode by proving her knowledge of Survivor by talking about some of her great picks in the draft. And I don't think we can do the same for you, uh, given your history. I know who they are, but they didn't, they weren't in the game enough to have any kind of impact besides like Bruce, like bashing his head open. That was certainly an impact. You had Bruce, Helen, and Maddie, I think, were the three. Yeah, I did. I had all of them. Jack gets say on the draft order for season 45. So this episode is your chance to make your pitch to get a good draft pick, I guess. I think it would be beneficial because I clearly don't have a good sense of what who to pick. The fact that I won, the fact that you went out with the first three, I think is a big indication that you never know what's going to happen because I didn't know what I was doing. And I think you knew what you were doing. It seemed like you knew what you were doing. And then, I mean, Clyde just talks a big game. So here's what I want to know from you, Maddie. Clyde's an obsessive freak when it comes to this show, as is evidenced by the podcast we produce about it and how much he has seen. How much of Survivor have you seen? Is this a household thing? Is this a family thing? Or is Clyde kind of the maniac and then everyone else enjoys it when it comes on? Yeah, so Clyde showed me like Survivor during quarantine um, when we were both just like kind of trapped home and needed something to kill time. I don't think I'm as obsessive as him. I have seen around half the seasons that are out there. So I think I have a pretty good sense of like how the game works and I can kind of predict like what's going to happen in some cases. I'm very bad with memory though when it comes to some of those seasons. Like I could quiz Clyde about the first like eight boots of a season and he could tell them to me like I can't do that I can maybe tell you like the top three for the seasons that I've seen that's still pretty good yeah let's hop into it a bit so in this episode we'll cover episode four of Survivor China Maddie since you're hopping in a little bit later in the season what have been your impressions so far do you like the season so far are there any contestants that you're rooting for just from the start this is a very memorable season just because of the location and every challenge is so unique I feel like the more recent seasons I've watched has been in the new era, just because that's what's live and that's what's been on. So it's really nice and refreshing to like see more unique challenges and not see some motion for like the fifth time in a row. 
So it's been really good. I've enjoyed the cast. I've recognized some of the players um, that have been returnees. Um, am I allowed to say who they are? Or is that going to be a spoiler? No, don't, don't say it. Returnees don't are? say it. Okay. Don't say it. Well, there are, I know there's for sure three returnees. There's four um, total. From this season. Yeah. There's four total? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. But I recognize three of them from other seasons that I've seen. I think it'll be interesting to see kind of their origin. And it was actually kind of coincidence how I started watching it with some friends um, at school over the summer. And then uh, Clyde texted me and was like, oh, we're about to do China. I was like, that's so crazy. I just started watching China. So so you guys want to hop right into it at the Fei Long camp? Before we even get to the Fei Long camp, Clyde, do you, did you notice what the first shots of this episode were? Is it an animal? It's not just one, but four. One of them's a panda, right? It's not just one panda, it's three pandas. We get a shot of three pandas, and then we get a shot of an oxen before we see anything else in the episode. So they're, the animal shots in this episode, I'm convinced it's so deliberate. There, I have several examples throughout this episode, but uh, I don't really know who the pandas and the oxen are. Uh, off the bat because we go to Fei Long and their audio is all screwy. I don't know if that was just on my stream. It was the same way for me where I had to rewind it a couple times to hear what exactly they were saying. John Robert, who claims that it was intentional that he wanted to start from the back of the pack, is targeting Courtney, which we saw coming. This was ridiculous to me that John Robert is trying to claim that he intentionally put himself on the bottom. I don't believe it at all. I think he's just yeah. a jerk, and now he's trying to find a way to justify his bad positioning. There are players that win in like an underdog archetype, where they start off in a bad spot, and then they gain agency over the course of the season. But nobody does that intentionally. Like, right. That's such a risky strategy to getting voted out early. If you choose to be an underdog, you're not an underdog. I don't like Jean Robert. I think he's so annoying. And I don't understand his strategy at all. I don't even think it's a strategy. Like Clyde said, I think it's just something to justify his actions, especially in the old seasons. Like a lot of the votes recently, I feel like have just been people that have like caused problems at camp. There was the dilemma between um, Ashley and Dave. So then Ashley was booted out. So that way they wouldn't be arguing at camp all the time or chicken wasn't doing anything at camp. So chicken got voted off. Like, in this era, people value camp life so much more. So to be deliberately not doing anything at camp just doesn't make sense to me. I completely agree. Uh, it's a shame. I'm excited to see this Courtney Jean Robert battle that's on the horizon. But based off the results of this episode, we're going to need to wait at least another week. So we can take a look at Jean Fu. And before we get there, Clyde, there's more animals. <laughs> there's another animal. We get to see a dragonfly up close. There's a lot of insect shots in this episode. So, who's the dragonfly then? Uh, I think the dragonfly is uh, definitely Frosty. Oh, your winner pick. Yeah, why Why is he the dragonfly? I don't know, man. Uh, the dragonfly doesn't land as well as some of the others do later on. They get better as the episode goes on. Trust okay. me. I'll be excited to hear about them. <laughs> don't worry. I didn't write down anything but animals. My notes are just panda, grasshopper, <laughs> dragonfly. Well, speaking of Frosty, uh, Frosty walks over to the Jean Hu rice supply and it all has mold on it now. It seems like they decided to leave their rice supply in the mud as opposed to putting it on top of the shelter. Terrible decision on their part. I think this further proves your theory, Jack, that 
these tribes seem to be like two completely different civilizations where you have the mountaintop people at Feilong where everything from a camp life point of view is good. And then the mud people at Jeonhu where everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Along with the rice getting moldy, we get this argument between Sharia and Dave. We have multiple arguments between them. One of them is over the moldy rice and another one is over some shells that Sharia attempts to throw out. But Dave wants to keep them and take them home for his mom. Yeah. After these arguments, Dave has this confessional where he states that he's just doing his best job as the leader. <laughs> and tell me if you guys feel this way, but do you think the edit here wants us to root for Dave? Like, it seems like the edit is painting him in a more positive light. My impression from the edit in this episode was, I don't know if it was, hey, Dave isn't a bad guy, as much as it was, hey, Sharia is equally bad at fault in some of these things. It felt like the edit really wanted to portray Sharia negatively for what seems like pretty intentional actions on her part, and it wants to make her look like she's just being lazy. So I was already seeing Dave negatively this whole time, and I think this was the first time that Sharia was really shown in a bad light, so I kind of had a sense that it was almost that they were putting Sharia, like painting more of this picture of Sharia that she wasn't doing as much work at camp so that way it wouldn't be super clear that Dave would be the one going home in the episode that's kind of how I saw it I feel bad for Sharia because she's been pretty invisible so far this season and this episode she finally gets some screen time and the two things we learn about her is that she gets in arguments with Dave and she's lazy around camp she's had it pretty rough in terms of the edit so tell me if this is justified as the voice of the people who hasn't seen much old survivor she's one of two african-american contestants and it feels like she's getting kind of a a a biased edit that's like okay this show isn't very diverse and you're you're painting one of your minority cast members in kind of a negative light for something that she says is intentional like we get all of these shots throughout this episode of everyone else working really really hard at camp and she is sitting back and it makes her you know there's a couple shots of I think Eric working on the fire and it positions the camera so that you see Eric in the corner working really hard and then Sharia just lounging. It makes it seem really negative. She's not being mean. She's not disrupting anybody. She's just taking it a little easy because King Asshole is gone. I, I did not like the edit she got because honestly, I think every bit of frustration and anger she shows in this whole episode is completely justified. Yep. Oh, I, I wanted to throw out, we see a conversation between Dave and Frosty where Dave says something along the lines of, I think he says this to Frosty. He may say it in a confessional around the same time. Everyone else is more on eggshells because of Sharia, not me. So first off, David, which I assume is your full name. Everybody was on edge when Ashley was there and it was her fault too. So isn't it weird that Ashley left and they're still on eggshells and it's someone else's fault? Hmm. Gotta look in the mirror, bud. And then uh, Frosty in confessional says, Crazy Dave may have worn out his welcome. So Frosty is starting to show some frustration as early as this. It is funny there that in that moment, Frosty is almost giving Dave life advice or game advice. 
keep in mind that Frosty's 20 years old and Dave is 37. Like, this guy's almost two decades older than him, and Frosty's walking in like the parental figure. He also resolved the whole shell situation. He ended up taking the shells from Shreya and, like, I assume, like, outside of the um, footage that, like, he kind of had to call them down after he took um, that plate away from her. Let's go to the challenge. Oh, boy. This was a great one. So I believe that this was a play on an old Chinese parable where, as a punishment, gluttonous men are forced to sit at a dinner table with six-foot-long chopsticks and basically the thing is you can't feed yourself. You have to feed the people around you because the chopsticks are too long. I think this is a play on that. It's a traditional story. Uh, but the challenge itself is two team members each have one chopstick, a.k.a. stick, and each round the chopsticks get longer. And basically using the chopsticks, they have to pick up and carry a flaming ball to a, a walk for some reason. There's like a culinary thing to this. And then when the flaming ball gets into the walk, a firework goes off. Fireworks also invented in China. So it's kind of this miasma of Chinese cultural references that don't fully go together, but they kind of go together. And it's a race. So first team to get three fireworks to go off wins. And the it's a reward challenge for... Uh, a, a course in fishing from a local fisherman and his family, as well as a really nice meal provided and cooked by that fisherman's family with vegetables, spices, etc. I will say I love that this challenge happens at night. I'm hard-pressed to think of another Survivor challenge where they intentionally schedule it for nighttime. I love the fireworks. They were completely unnecessary but added a nice touch to it. My favorite part of the fireworks was they're color-coded. So whenever a team got the flaming ball to the walk, the whole field is lit up in their color, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, something else I want to throw out about this challenge. Uh, or I really have two things to throw out. In the first round, we see Frosty, not Frosty, sorry, Todd. I get them confused because uh, th they're the two best players. Todd and Denise are the first to go for Fei Long. This is a communication-heavy challenge, right? They have to hold these long poles together, five-foot-long poles holding a tennis ball-sized ball of fire. Even in this communication-based challenge, Denise still does not speak. I think at this point, here's my theory. They don't want to show Denise any more than they have to. It feels like production decided after the, you know, retroactively that they're going to minimize her because the only time we do hear Denise speak in this episode and we do finally get to hear her speak is when we absolutely have to because she is selected to participate in the reward more fully. But even in the communication-based challenge, we don't hear a peep from her. So that's the first thing I want to point out. And then at the end, it's a pretty close challenge, and it's Dave and Eric, I think. And Dave absolutely chokes, and Frosty is yelling at him. Frosty is very, very not chill. It felt like the manifestation of Frosty's getting sick of him at camp, but oh, maybe he can turn it around in challenges. And Dave effectively loses the challenge for them. Dave is the center of the problems on that tribe. 
I've been noticing throughout this episode that James's fuse is like already completely like gone. There was one point he was working with Jean Robert and Jean Robert like immediately as soon as he picks up the stick, he starts complaining about like how difficult it is. And he comes back with this snarky comment where he's like, just focus, man. It's not impossible. Yeah, that's you guys kind of covered everything else, though. Last important thing to mention here is that when Fade Long wins reward, they get to select someone from Jean Hu to kidnap and they choose Dave. So now we get probably the worst duo in Survivor history of Dave and Jean Robert. Looking at the Fei Long camp, we get a ton of what I call crazy Dave moments. He hugs Courtney because he misses New York so much, and I checked afterwards. Dave is from California. He's on the opposite side of the country from NYC, yet he misses it this much. Later on, Dave shows his butt to random members of the tribe, and Todd calls him a nutcase. We also get this segment of Dave and Todd walking off to the side. Todd tells Dave that he's been a fan of Survivor since the first season. I think that's been pretty obvious to us just given his gameplay up until this point. Dave gets the sense that he can trust Todd. He proceeds to give the clue to the immunity idol to him. What do you guys think about this? Good move? Bad move? Bad read. Todd is clearly, at least in my opinion, like he knows so much about the game and he seems like very in tune with like everybody in his tribe. He's clearly is like studied this ahead of time, which in the newer seasons, like that's common, but like not as much in these older seasons. So I don't know why you would give the clue to someone who's probably likely to find the idol. Wouldn't you want the idol for yourself? I, I mean, I think that uh, from Dave's perspective, right, obviously he's not going to give it to a woman because Dave clearly hates women. He bonds too much with Jean Robert. He sees too much of himself in Jean Robert. Uh, Aaron is too big of a dude. James is too big of a dude. He's not allowed to hug James, so I think there's some resentment there. So I, I think Todd just ends up being the logical option for Dave. His big priority in the conversation is he asks him about, um, oh, what's the phrase? Uh, do, do you believe turnabout's fair play? Which is like a very antiquated kind of phrase about, oh, if I give you something, will you give me something back? I hate to argue anything in favor of Dave, but I think his logic is... Todd will make it to the merge. This could get me an alliance with Todd after the merge. Of course, we get a confessional where Todd says, Dave is a nutcase, and this entire sequence of Dave is interspersed with animal shots. What animal? I can hear you thinking, Clyde. Snakes. There are snakes interspersed throughout Dave's sequence of decision-making here. Yeah, the snake shots were definitely intentional for Dave, uh, one thing I wrote down is that I think this might be Todd's best move on the season. He's had some impressive maneuvers up until this point, namely convincing Leslie to share the idol clue with him, but this probably surpasses that. Obviously, Dave meets his demise later in the episode, but if Todd was selected to go to the Jean Hu camp and he shared an idol clue with Dave, that's probably good for him in the long run. Dave is a toxic figure within Jean Hu, so it's ideal to give an idol to the player that's stirring up chaos in the other camp. So moving off of Dave, the fishermen arrive at the Fei Long camp. And Jack, you're going to like this because Denise narrates this entire section of the episode. I looked it up, and before episode 4, Denise had a total of one confessional. In this episode, she has five. In one of those confessionals, Denise gives credit to the food made by the locals by comparing it to the chicken nuggets that she serves as a cafeteria worker. 
I respect that Denise was grateful for the people's help around camp, uh, but there was no need to shit on the cafeteria chicken nuggets. I'm a fan of them. Yeah, those are good. Do you remember the square deep dish pizza with square pepperonis? Oh, yeah. Is that a personal favorite? I got that occasionally, but it was not my first pick. Jack, do you have any experience with the cafeteria chicken nuggets? Not a lot of experience, but I packed my lunch for most of school. I mean, what I liked about this was, I mean, I was very excited to hear Denise's voice, frankly. And she says, quote, a lunch lady is not an expert on food. So thank you, Denise, for perpetuating the stereotype started by Captain Underpants. Uh, it feels like the most children's graphic novel comic stereotype ever that the lunch lady can't cook. But uh, I guess it's true. They are just warming stuff up. She seems really nice, and I, I loved her enthusiasm. She seems to have just be there having a good time. Maybe this is the start of Denise's upward trajectory. She got five confessionals in this episode. Maybe next one she'll be up at 10. I know Jean Robert claimed that he was the underdog of the season, but I think it's really Denise in terms of the edit. Oh, I wanted to throw out the whole bird fishing thing. So there's this really famous photograph. It's a Nat Geo photo, I believe, of a fisherman like that on a boat with his birds. And it's a really cool photo from like the 60s, I think. That's probably wrong. It's an old photo, though. And I was amazed to see that that tradition is still going, for one thing. But then I did have a moment because the first thing we see, they go out on the boat, Denise and Aaron, and the first thing we see is the bird fishing. My understanding or my first instinct was, how is bird fishing supposed to help these contestants? Because I didn't think they were going to get any other training. I thought that these fishermen were going to show them how to bird fish and then leave with all the birds. And it was just kind of an enrichment thing. But then they do actually learn how to use their nets, which I thought was good. Wait, I'm a bit lost right now. Do they keep the fish like in the bird's crop or where or is it just in their throat? Like where does it go exactly? Yeah, so the fish scoops up the 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 bird scoops up the fish, excuse me, and then it goes to swallow it, and then there's a, a bit of rope around its neck that basically keeps it from swallowing it all the way. So it flies back to the boat because it's been trained to, and it throws up the the fish into the boat. Do you think the birds are ever allowed to keep one of the fish? Like, is the relationship between the fishermen and the birds friendly, or are they more like employees? It's a symbiotic relationship, right? The birds are kept safe. They get to eat some of the fish, but then they also give most of the fish to their boss. We can head over to Jean Hu then, where it's a very chill vibe, a very frosty vibe, if you will. Everyone's hanging out in the shelter, and then they realize, oh, we actually need to do stuff around camp. The edit makes it look like this entire tribe is functioning only thanks to Dave, which is probably an over-exaggeration. As everyone's working, Sharia is laying down in the shelter. She actually does a confessional while reclined there, and she claims that she's conserving her energy for challenges. What did you guys think about this? Did you feel that in this moment, the target was potentially shifting to Sharia? I think it shifted a little bit. I think the conversation became Sharia or Dave. But at the same time, I think that was blown up for the edit because I think at the end of the day, whenever we saw communication, 
in this group, in the Daveless Mud people. It wasn't contentious. It wasn't complaining about Sharia. It was, oh, we should get something done. And then people just kind of go do it. And so I think the amount of tranquility around camp, plus Sharia seems to be nice enough and get along with people, even with her lack of doing anything, I don't, I had a hard time believing her name could really be written down. I agree with everything Jack said. And I also think that not having Dave there kind of gave them a sense of what it would be like if he was voted off. And they realized like, oh, this is actually really peaceful. And we don't really need him here to get everything done that we need to get done. So what's the point of keeping him around? So I think that Dave leaving actually helped that vote a lot. Yeah, I wonder if this was Faye Long's intention from the beginning. It makes sense that they would select Dave for this kidnapping in hopes that the rest of Jean Hu would conspire against him. Because the last time they saw Dave, he stripped down in the challenge, so I doubt that was a motivating factor to invite him to their camp. That's a great point. The last time Dave interacted with these people, well, they were getting all up in his business unwillingly. He was forcing his business on them. I'm shocked actually remembering that, that they picked him. What's the point? What's the point? I don't understand. I don't know. It's so easy to not be weird. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what the point is. He's a former model, and he's really hoping that the tasteful blurring done by Survivor gets him back into the industry. You think this was a career move? Yeah. Yeah, this is networking for him. He's like, if I show enough butt, somebody's going to call me. They didn't even see it, though. It was blurred. Yeah, because even if it's blurred, right, if if his butt's blurred, but then we've got Courtney or Aaron or someone goes, dude, sick butt, bro. It's going to be like a reverse of how Courtney got on the show, right? Courtney got on the show because a producer saw her in the wild. Dave's hoping to get into other things because people see him on the sh on Survivor. I would need to do some research and check back with Dave to see what happened with his modeling career. My guess is it didn't go anywhere. I, I feel almost positive he has been on one of those, like, alpha male podcasts. Oh, I can totally see that. A hundred percent. Dave's one of those guys. He's like, listen, we're not meant to eat vegetables. I eat steak and butter for all three meals every day. He's one of those guys, I bet. Oh, that's terrible. Why would you say that? He's one of those guys that gives, like, dating advice and, like, just doesn't know anything about women and just gives, like, the worst advice Bro, don't hold the door open for her, bro. That shows weakness. You've got to be the alpha. Make her open the door and then show her your butt. That's Dave's podcast for sure. Every piece of advice ends in show your butt. He gives 10 steps for dating and step 10 is always show your butt. The steps 6 through 10 are butt. Okay, I'm good to head to the challenge if you guys are. This might be the coolest challenge ever done that I've ever seen. Every single part of this was fantastic. I did not expect the costumes. The costumes? The set? Listen, it's such a small detail. It's only shown maybe for four seconds. But if you go back and watch, as the contestants are walking into the set, they walk through this bamboo tunnel that's like hexagonal and is so intricate and beautiful. It blew my mind. Because everything within, right all the faces on the different poles and the the armor and the weapons, which I looked them up. What are they called? Uh, meteor hammers. Meteor hammers. They're real. That's a real historical weapon. But the bamboo walkway 
I mean, it's one of those things where it feels like every member of production who worked on this went and got a job somewhere else and didn't get to contribute to the T-ball. Wait, you're saying this is better than T-ball? This one, I'll, I'll say it. This one was better than T-ball. Maddie, you don't understand. We started this podcast back in November. We probably saw T-ball in December, January timeframe. And I've had to hear about this one challenge for six months. Uh, this, Meteor Hammers, I think it's my top challenge for sure. T-ball is a close second. Uh, and then um, uh, bowling. Basically, the challenge is two-on-two meteor hammer and a meteor hammer is basically it's kind of like a bolo i believe where it's got a weight it's it's two weights attached to a rope and you kind of get momentum and you throw it and two on two each team has three throws at a time behind each team are a series of vases on different poles of bamboo uh porcelain vases Filled with something, I think. I think they've got, like, powder in them or something to make it more visible. But the goal is throw your meteor hammer, get it past the opponents who have sticks so they can play defense, which I loved, uh, but get it past them and knock over vases. And after, basically after everybody goes, whoever has the most wins. Do you want to know who I thought of when Jeff first showed this challenge? It's Courtney. It has to be Courtney. This girl has had terrible luck so far this season with these challenges. It feels like every week we hop on this podcast and the challenge is another physical battle. We had the rustling in the mud, we had the wrestling on the ship, and now this one where they're throwing weapons at each other. Like, Courtney just wants one challenge with a puzzle or one that requires balance. I also love that whenever a contestant throws the meteor hammer, the edit pans to this stock footage of the hammer spinning through the air. So here's what I want to throw out about that, because it is similar to the freeze frame on the rope being cut in the previous episode. The only time they use that shot is on throws that land. You don't have to wait for impact. If you saw that shot, you knew that throw was going to hit. A few people struggle. We get a great quote from Jeff. You got to get some oomph on these. I really liked that line. I think that was after Courtney's round because nobody had any oomph in that round. I mean, honestly, Courtney did fine. She competed and they won and she didn't make a critical mistake. So shout out to Courtney for actually, I guess, holding her own and making it through a challenge well. And Faylong wins. And I think it ends up being like 4-3 or something like that. It, it ends up being pretty close. Were you happy that Faylong won? Yeah, because it means Dave's going home. I'll talk about this later on, but... I think Fei Long as a tribe is way more interesting to watch than John Hu. It sounds bad, but I'm kind of rooting for Fei Long to lose these challenges because I would way rather the screen time be dedicated towards them. Oh, see, I'm rooting for them to win every challenge because I think they'll be more interesting at the merge. Yeah, I guess you're right. I'm all about the immediate satisfaction. You're more in it for the long run. Yeah. Uh, Maddie, anything from the challenge that you want to throw out? I think you guys kind of touched on everything that I thought was um, important to hit on, so... No, I think you guys got everything. So, Jean Hu loses. They return back to camp. But before we... There's an animal shot. Don't you worry. Before we go to camp, I thought this one actually aligns really well with our vision of the two camps. We've got the mud people in Jean Hu and the, the mountain people in Fei Long. And we have Dave, who has just come down from the mountaintop, and he's 
squelching back into the mud and he's disgusted by these people around him who he has to work with, who don't work hard enough, who don't listen to him. And we get this shot of a sad little monkey just gazing up to the sky as though I picture Dave sitting down in the mud, metaphorically gazing up back at his mountain people that he's just left. And then nobody's listening to Dave. Dave comes back and tries to start bossing people around and everyone's like, whatever. It's great. The switch is flipped. I loved this section. It was fantastic. Dave seems self-aware, though. I think he knows he's on the bottom and that it's either him or Sharia. He literally walks up to PG and Eric and makes a plea to them where he says, like, oh, I promise I'll change in the future. Just give me a chance. Which he already had a second chance. I don't understand that. He could have been voted out last time because he was such a bad leader. And then, like, he didn't learn last time they went to tribal. I don't understand. In this conversation with PG and uh, Eric, right? PG is in the water and Eric and Dave are in the boat. And Dave says, I can tell you I'm different and I keep changing and getting better. Which feels like a line written for a manipulative boyfriend in Riverdale. I thought the exact same thing. Like, babe, I swear, I'm, I'm different. I'm a changed man. The other thing I have to throw out about that conversation is the way Dave exits the conversation. Because basically, he begs them to not vote him out, says, please, I've changed. And then dives away, just dives off camera into the water and swims away. It's the weirdest exit. He doesn't say bye. He doesn't say, all right, good talk. He just dives into the water and is gone. So with those two options on the table, we get the core four. And I think this is the alliance that's really running Jean Hu at this point. It's Frosty, Eric, Jamie, and PG. They squat up in the water. And they have a conversation on who are we going to vote out? Sharia or Dave. And as they have this entire conversation, Sharia is like 10 feet away and she overhears it all. I have a feeling where you guys land on this, but I think it's important to ask if you're any of those four players, do you lean more towards voting out Sharia or more towards voting out Dave? Yeah, I, I think it's Dave. The one quote we get is Eric says in confessional, if we could get rid of both, that would be great. Uh, because I think Sharia's inaction has rubbed everybody the wrong way. I think Sharia's in trouble, but Dave is so much worse. I don't think it's which one necessarily. I think most of those core four are thinking, we'll go Dave, and then next time we'll go Sharia. That's the sense I've got. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It's important to mention that when that core four squads up to make a decision, it seems like Frosty's the one campaigning the hardest against Dave, which is wild. Like the fact that he's the youngest player and he has a solid amount of agency within that tribe. So props to you, Jack. That's your winner pick. What can I say? I watch the animals. I know the signs. Does Frosty have an animal? Uh, no, Frosty's a beast of his own. He doesn't need representation. He's so truly Frosty that he doesn't need like, he doesn't need a symbol. He could be a penguin. Because he has a penguin shirt on. He's wearing a penguin shirt? Yeah, I noticed that I noticed that during tribal and I made a note and I was like, Frosty wears a penguin shirt this whole time? Like, I didn't realize, but I think it's so funny. Yeah. Okay. You guys want to go to tribal then? I have one thing I want to talk about at tribal. Jeff asks Dave, if you could go back to camp tonight and not have to be in charge, would you? And, and Dave says, oh, absolutely. Leadership has been quite a burden. Something I didn't want to begin with. 
Dave, you raised your hand. You raised your hand and you've talked everybody into silence for a week. Oh my, and I, Jeff didn't call him on this. Not only does he get away with it, but Eric hypes him up. Like Eric says that he gets frustrated watching other contestants question Dave's leadership. Like since when is Eric the number one Dave fan? It's like Eric wants to be friends with Dave after the show and doesn't remember that his vote will be made public. Who cares what Dave thinks of you? He's not going on the jury. You can kick him out and you don't need to have a good relationship with him. I think he just wants to hang out with Dave after the show. I don't know why, but I can't fathom another reason because he basically is praising Dave unless it's a bluff, right? Unless it's him trying to emphasize or really tee up the blind side. Maybe there's a concern that Dave found the idol or something like that. And this is his way of making sure that Dave doesn't play it. Yeah, I mean, he went to another camp. He could have come back with something. I think that that could be. I mean, we don't hear anything. That's a John Michael shot in the dark if we've ever had one. But it could be. Uh, and the other thing I noticed is I think Sharia does something that we see a lot, especially in early seasons, or I seem to see in early seasons. I don't know if this is a pattern where she knows that something she's doing is rubbing her teammates the wrong way. And she talks way too much about the reason she does that. I feel like when players challenge you on something that you're doing around camp, you need to own up to the mistake and say that you'll change as opposed to doubling down on it. I think Sharia takes it too far. And it sounds like she wants to continue with the strategy. You guys want to talk about the vote or anything else from Tribal? Let's go to the vote. Pretty straightforward. It's a 5-1. Five, uh, 5 on Dave, 1 on Sharia. Any final thoughts on Dave? Sad to see him go. Good riddance. I'm so happy to see him go. Are you kidding? He he is second only to Ben from Samoa, in my mind. Ben, the blatant racist, is the only worse player in my mind than Dave, the just clear misogynist and um, unaware jerk. The, the other thing I'll throw out is in his exit confessional, absolutely no self-awareness. He says, yeah, I thought I listened a lot. I wish other people had listened better. Like, he, he blames everyone else for not listening to his instructions enough. Maddie, I have a question for you before we get to winners and losers. Do you have, have you seen this season before? I have not. This is my first time seeing it. Do you know who wins? I don't know who wins. I know, like, a famous moment from the season that I'm not going to spoil, but I feel like if you, if you see it, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm aware of a big move, but I don't know who actually wins. Do you have a winner pick? I don't have a winner pick. I was kind of thinking about making one, but I'm not sure. It's pretty early on still. Take take a shot. I think I'm going to go Todd. I think that's a little ambitious right now because I feel like people are going to catch on that he's smart. But there's no one else on the top of my head right now that I think has like a really great chance of winning. I, I think Todd's a fair pick. The two big concerns with him, one is what you mentioned that other players catch on to the fact that he's a strategist. And it seems like from the edit, he's a level up from some of these other players. The other concern with him is older seasons generally contain more bitter juries that favor social gameplay over strategic. I think there's a world where Todd reaches the end and it's similar to Samoa where players feel so burned by him that they don't want to award him the million dollars. There's positives and negatives because I feel like in a modern season, you could totally see a, a Todd-esque player making a run, but you also need to keep in mind when this is going on. Uh, before we go to winners and losers, last thing I want to mention, I wrote this down. 
And I feel like this might be the worst episode of the season so far. Uh, I think the other three were more entertaining. But I feel like Jean Hu is dragging down some of this pre-verge. I find them considerably less entertaining and less, like, strategically savvy as compared to Fei Long. Like, Dave has sucked up so much of the screen time on this tribe that I feel nobody else has been able to shine in the pre-merge. So I, I think when I looked back at my ranking, I originally had the season ranked at, like, 22 or like 21 out of 44. Uh, I feel like part of the reason for that is you have this tribe that's less interesting. I, I got one more thing that it's a little thing that I just want to throw out that I forgot to mention. A little moment to give a little bit of something interesting to Jean Hu. When they first see the new Fei Long without Leslie, God bless, uh, we do get a moment of Jamie looking very shocked. So I wonder how Jamie is feeling about that particular move we don't hear it because she doesn't really speak outside of a group setting but i did just want to note that that jamie after her sort of exchange with leslie now no longer has her fellow christian but now i'm ready for winners and losers maddie who's your loser my loser man i have my winner prepared i did not have my loser fully prepared i'm gonna go with jean robert just because she's irritating fair enough I would have picked Dave, but he's gone now, so... Uh, I consider Jean Robert, and I went with Sharia, because I think Jean Robert, it comes down to... there's It's a question, right? He's awful, but if Courtney has a bad challenge and Jean Robert has a good one, and apparently he, you know, is fluent in Mandarin, so that could be an asset going forward that... Who knows? There could be a puzzle with Mandarin that... He takes the lead on, although speaking it and reading it are, of course, very different things. I, I think his future is a little bit murkier where I don't see Sharia making it past Jean Hu's next final tribal. I agree with you. Uh, Sharia was also my loser of the episode. I just don't see where the crack is in this four-person alliance for Sharia to sneak in. We get hints that maybe there's something brewing between Eric and Jamie, so... Perhaps Sharia could buddy up with them and they could go against PG and Frosty. But I think the way more likely outcome is that that group of four just sticks together and knocks out Sharia. So a deserving L. We can go to winners then. Uh, my winner is Todd. I think his move to convince Dave to share the idol clue is one of his best on the season so far. Uh, we'll need to wait and see if he actually finds the idol itself. It was tough for me to give the winner to anybody from Jean Hu because I'm not sure who was the head strategic thinker in that Dave elimination. I also had Todd for the same reasons. I was thinking about making the fireworks my winner, but I don't know if that's allowed. The fireworks are really pretty. I love an out-of-the-box winner. That's great. Can I can I pick the fireworks? Or do I have to go with the person? You're a guest. You can have the the winner of the episode can totally be the fireworks if you want it. That's totally fair. That's inbounds. Yeah, I want the fireworks. I've never seen fireworks on Survivor besides then. So it's a special occasion. Uh, my winner was also Todd. Uh, I think this season is going to set a record, at least until the merge, of me and Clyde being on the same page the most. He's now gotten two clues, one shared with him for no good reason, and another given to him for no good reason. And frankly, the only way he can stop winning, in my mind, is if he doesn't find this thing. If he gets another clue and still doesn't find it, he's my loser for that episode, no matter what else he does. Jack, I will let you know that we have had four winner picks each so far this season, and you've selected Todd for three of them. Any honorable mentions? Uh, my honorable mention is James. 
because of one very specific moment and the there's a little storyline brewing with James. Um, every single time he talks, his story gets more intriguing to me. I, I didn't really love how he was talking about Courtney or letting Jean Robert talk about Courtney in the previous episode, but we've gotten some fascinating stuff about his views on religion, his career of putting people in the ground. Uh, and we had this moment in, I think it was in the first episode, where Leslie was all over him, hugging him and just kind of hanging on him. And I thought she would kind of had a thing for him. I was a little creepy and I didn't like it. And James learned his lesson. So when Dave comes to town and starts trying to hug him, he says, no, Dave, uh, quote, I told you about the hugging. Good for you, James. Setting boundaries, making it clear, you know, defining your space. I love it. Good job, James. I mean, I guess since I made the fireworks my winner pick, then Todd would be my honorable mention. I'm continuing my streak of uh, strange dishonorable mentions this season. And I hit on this earlier, but my dishonorable mention goes to Leslie's school's chicken nuggets. Denise's, Denise, Denise's school's chicken nuggets. Maddie and I, we attended public school, so we understand the ropes of the public school cafeteria system. And most public school cafeteria food is edible, but not enjoyable. And I remember chicken nuggets being the one like consistently above average item on the menu. It's impossible to mess those things up. And Denise completely disrespected them, which gives them the dishonorable mention. However, I would like to say that I disagree with Denise's uh, opinion. I think after this episode, the stock value of those chicken nuggets went down. Like in the past, you used to be able to trade them for like a Go-Gurt or something cool like that. And now you can only trade them for like baby carrots. How many how many nuggets did you trade for a Go-Gurt? Let's say I get 12 chicken nuggets. I would say a fair exchange rate would be three chicken nuggets for one Go-Gurt, three or four. But after this, it's probably up to like seven or eight. How big are these nuggets? Are we talking like Chicken McNugget? Yeah, I would say Chicken McNugget size, yeah. That's a pretty good exchange rate. Yeah, well, not anymore since Denise destroyed them in the edit. How many nuggets in a serving? My guess is around a dozen. I think they gave us less. We had those like slot. you would get the tray and there were like the slots within the tray. Like they would just like put a few in the slot. And I would say we you got like six nuggets on average, like seven or eight on a good day. Yeah. There wasn't a standardized amount. It was more based on volume. <laughs> yeah. So after Denise's comments, you would need to give up your entire nugget supply for that Gogurt. And I don't know if that's really worth it at that point. That's about everything I had. Anything else that you guys want to run through or are we all set? I'll say this. We're probably going to miss Leslie because you know we're going to be talking about Eric's virginity because apparently that's how his showmance gets started with Jamie. Yeah, well, thanks for listening in. Maddie, thank you for joining us on the podcast. A phenomenal guest. Top three guest. Yeah, top three guest for sure. And as long as your audio file isn't corrupt when you send it to me, you're already ahead of John Michael. Wow, thank you. Well, thanks for listening. Catch us next week where we'll cover episode five of Survivor China.